0: Welcome to episode 93 of the Fitness Devil podcast. Today we've got Mark Morris. He's a PhD based out of Saskatoon and he's an upcoming speaker at our September Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium event. So hopefully you guys will check that out. We talk about how his thoughts on the nutrition information out in the Instagram and YouTube space and what's being done right by good people. We talk about powerlifters and some of the body fat considerations surrounding the, the myth of powerlifting and, and being over fat. We get into the inability <clears throat> to deal with hearing messages that conflict with the existing belief systems and how he's encountered some people in his travels who struggle to hear science, what it conflicts with, what they believe. And we get into whether or not The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, is Canadian. So stick stick around.
1: Shut
2: up, and sit down.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Mark Morris. Mark is a Saskatoon, Saskatoonian, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. For our American listeners or anyone who doesn't know where this place is, they're going to be, just Google it, it's fucked. You can't Uh, Google it because you can't spell it. Yeah, have fun spelling it. Uh, (laughs) So he's out of Saskatoon and he's a strength athlete, uh, a coach, happens to have a PhD in nutrition and uh, he's also part of our presenter lineup uh, for September at uh, our conference here in Edmonton. We'll tell you more about that. So uh, welcome, Mark.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, looking forward to chatting and, uh, and coming to see you guys in September
2: first thing like why don't you have the Saskatoon accent?
1: Uh because I actually grew up in southwestern Ontario. Okay, that I was like I was yeah. like
2: waiting for like the if anyone's well, you probably can't even do it. Can you do it? No. Uh not really, yeah. no. I
1: well, I play hockey with quite a few like a few different uh, rec leagues and uh the guys there they definitely they it's strong accents and it's like probably the this is like the heartland, right? Like the, the way they talk is just
2: well, yes, it's different for anyone who's yeah, listening from do... America. It's like if you hear any of the hockey players talk, like anywhere, it, just take that, and that's the whole language in Saskatchewan. Like, <laughs> you, you don't sound like you're from the show Letter Kenny either. For anyone who's familiar <laughs> with that, so
1: <laughs> it's, it's pretty close to that for sure.
0: Like, get it together. Yeah. <laughs> then again, I don't sound like I'm from Newfoundland, and if anyone's heard Newfies talk, I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, that's painful yeah. sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah
1: no you like that you feel like you're in a different world in saint john's it's it's like where am i
0: if anyone's ever seen if, if you've never heard a newfie accent but you've seen the movie snatch and you've seen uh brad pitt's pikey character <laughs> the stronger accents start to skew towards that it gets incomprehensible especially depending on where it, on the island you're talking to someone <laughs> just, just for a background on Canadian accents, because yeah, everyone thinks the, we all sound the same. If you so. haven't seen the movie Snatch, if you don't know where Seth is, just just ignore this part and we'll go on to... It's in the middle. ...what, what we're going to talk about, so let's have some fun here, let's see. So yeah. uh, you've actually got some pretty... you've attained some pretty high-level academic credentials in nutrition, uh, but more than ever, we're seeing people consume their nutritional information from Instagram, from YouTube... And so what I want to ask was, what do you feel like is being done really well, right by the good people in our industry on those platforms, well-educated or not? And how do you personally approach combating the misinformation that is out there in those spaces with your own approach and own media?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I'm like observing, digesting in terms of people that are doing things well is that they know who they're talking to is the biggest thing. Like I think, there's quite a few different professionals. Like the further you get in research, and we were kind of talking about this earlier, the further you get down that rabbit hole and you start to talk like you're, you're focusing on talking to other research professionals. But when you try to do that with you know your general fitness enthusiast that's trying to get into things, it's just completely lost um, on them. So it's like being relatable but also knowing who your target audience is and catering your content to them. And I think the people that are missing the boat in, around that are just – they're trying to like describe very abstract concepts um, that aren't applicable to a different audience. And I feel like the people that are doing that well know exactly who they're talking to know exactly the pain points they're going through know exactly, you know um, how to speak to them. And it just makes the con the content so much more relatable. And it's, I think it's very tough for um, evidence-based research professionals to do that because you have to have such a, a strong grasp of the content material. You have to have like, you have to know, you know, truly what is important and what isn't, and then focus on that important stuff and make it relatable. So I think that's the biggest thing with people that are doing well.
0: Um, I think one of the, to add to that point, one of the dangers with the people who don't do it well is you're leaving all this space for the bad guys, the charlatans, the people who are pumping out either misinformation or or appealing to, to fear and insecurities Um, Sometimes we like to use uh, the snake diet guy as a bit of a punching bag, but he's a very good example of someone who, as obnoxious as his message is, it definitely really hits home with a lot of people. And if you are someone who is very academic and does not speak the language of the lay person well, one of the problems is, is you're leaving this giant gap for the bad information to slide right through those people
2: well, for the same points that you're saying like they literally you take that whole message and wrap it up to the bad people or we'll call them bad people the ones that we think are bad they end up doing that same thing and they can they can do it better sometimes Well, a lot of times for
1: sure on 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 people that you know are impressionable people that you know are have been you know struggling with aspects of this for so long that like it's just it hits home with them and, and they feel as if um, you know, this is something that they finally heard. This is the time that things are going to change and, and that part can be um, problematic. I do find that, um, you know, like sometimes being, you know, someone that's educated and you understand the, you know, ins and outs of evidence-based um, like science and, you know, how to apply that. Like sometimes that gray area can also kill you, right? Yeah. Where you're like, you know, it depends and, you know, the, the answer always depends and it depends and then, like people just want an answer, Right. Um, And that's kind of some of the times where, like, we don't do that so much of that in um, content-based, I guess you could say, information or marketing. But when on a one-on-one basis, as a coach, you're saying, no, do this, and we're going to try this, because I feel as if that's, you know, what the evidence supports, and we're going to try that. Um, And a lot of times, like, you would give them a straight answer, because, like, that's what your job is as a coach. We we could go into, like, the, you know, the five to ten minute dialogue around, like, you know, different nuances of, different things but like you want people want a straight answer and a lot of times right and sometimes too much information is going to entirely just paralyze them right and impede them from acting on you know some of the things that will actually make them make progress so it's like it's a fine balance between you know being nuanced enough but also giving people straight answers and knowing who you're talking to
0: i've noticed this recently on social media in our in our world that it's become trendy to kind of shit on the it depends answer in the context of not then further elaborating like you said and giving people specific info. If we're talking in general terms to large populations, then yeah, sure the research which deals in means and averages, that stuff tends to apply. But as you just what? said, when we deal with individuals, you really do have to find the solution unique but, to that person. But then
2: like even if we like look at a lot of the stuff that gets fucking lit up, a lot of that is a one end of the spectrum of the it depends answer. It just happens to be the post. You know what I mean? So, like, usually we're like, oh, you, this doesn't support this, but sometimes mm-hmm. in the context it does, and then that shows up, and then they get jumped on. So, it, it really... It does depend, but it's... Yeah. God, the, but then you know, people also like to make shit up to argue about a fitness industry about the shit that's well, completely that's, meaningless. But <laughs> that's the problem. You you don't know if that's their intention behind it with a lot of their posts. Like, you have no right. idea if it's well-informed or not.
1: And, and sometimes it can come off as, you know, I'm shitting on this because, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that is... I think the biggest, one of the greatest examples of this is like branching amino acid supplementation yeah. and stuff, right? Like it's a polarizing concept because we have the supplement industry that is making some good money off of it. We also have the evidence-based community that has shown in various, you know, sources that within an optimal protein intake, it's not necessary. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I, I like, in terms of how I view evidence-based stuff, you got to say, is it effective is the first thing. And then, the other point, probably more importantly, is, is it safe? And if it isn't necessarily effective, but isn't putting someone at harm, I would like to err on the side of like, do it, but I'm going to, I'm going to uh, counsel you to that is probably not going to work. But if that allows you to live a healthier life, then by all means, go well, for it.
2: And sometimes it does. Like some people get like, I have a lot of nutrition clients too, and it's like, I got this blue lemonade or whatever the fuck, BCAA, and, like, it's, it's like, so awesome, and I'm going to do it, I'm not going to crush their dreams, because, like, they're still going to get 20 grams of protein after they have, like, their three servings or whatever. Right. Totally. And I'm like, just track it, like, you know what, great, because I don't want to, like, dump on the fact that they're excited about it.
1: Totally, and if you, like, I, I guess, I mean, not everything's always for the right reasons, but if you... Are going to spend two hundred dollars in a supplement store and that's going to allow you to get to the gym and it's going to like allow you to stick to some of those bigger picture concepts and by all means go for it but the research community and the evidence-based community it can just be so like harsh and i don't think they (laughs) they, i don't think they necessarily intend to be right that's that's very nice
2: they're like (laughs) the most harsh I, i think of anyone they are the most harsh
0: well it depends on who we're talking about there are the people who treat evidence-based and research as its own religion when it takes on that form those They're people increasing. can be ironically very dogmatic within that too so i think the smartest the, the best professionals are the people who are still very evidence-based very grounded in understanding what the research and the knowledge out there says but then not being so rigid in it and applying it uniquely to different populations
1: absolutely and i think actually like I think some of the best practitioners just are able to do that, right? And that's where, like, even in medicine, you'll see a lot of times there's going to be clinician practitioners and, you know, research practitioners that, you know, also do the research, but also, you know, practice. And those are some of the int- most interesting people to be around because they kind of understand both worlds. And I think we see that actually quite a bit in powerlifting between, um, People that are extremely good at programming and understand the ins and outs of you know periodization and all that mm-hmm. stuff, but like game day coaching is like an entirely different beast, right? It's almost like two two entirely different things, but they have overlap, right? They have overlap in terms of we're we're, we're training for the same sport but competing in it and what you would do when you compete in it is entirely different as a, from a coaching perspective. Well, yeah. Right? Even, even in the competition
2: aspect of that, like people think it's really simple. You just lift the most. And like, in terms of like placing and especially with the CPU and APU, like you're vying for spots and worlds. Like there's an actual, totally. there's a, it's a sport it, when you right. think about like the aspects that mean something. And yeah, you have to do calculations. You got to be good at math. This actually raises another good
0: point too, that, I don't train competitive powerlifters. I have one guy I've been working with who is interested in powerlifting. And I work with a few people in the past who are going in that direction. And then it's not something I've done myself. It's not something I have a lot of experience in. And to acquire this ability and knowledge, especially the, the game day stuff, would be so time cost prohibitive compared to all the other shit that I'm involved in. So I will refer people to a skilled powerlifting coach I'm comfortable giving people to Guido. We talked on air briefly about uh, a guy that we all know named Shane Martin. So Shane is actually yep. a powerlifting coach. Uh, he's pretty important in the what the APU is he the head of Alberta's powerlifting? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's,
1: the, yeah he, he's yeah he's the he's current president of exactly. the APU, and, and, and he's also like a one of our like coaching um, uh, instructors for our like nationwide program. Yeah. Uh, and, so yeah, and, and a great guy. So I've
0: referred clients to him. He's taken one of my old clients to competition who had a wonderful experience with him. So, uh, you know, abundance mindset, sharing stuff with people. And I'd rather do what's right for the client than, oh, no, I can figure this shit out. It's the same thing with bodybuilding stuff. I'm really not interested in putting bikini girls up on stage. And no disrespect to anyone who's listening, but on average, they tend to be giant pains in the ass to coach.
2: <laughs> there are some but I think problems. that's what's <laughs> like marketing. Like we get into that powerlifting realm, but like you said, like that whole aspect matters. Yeah, like the the experience matters for even when we talk about information being put on the platforms, like because you can tell the people who know or don't know. Like there's a big difference,
1: for sure. And I I feel like, and and that's not to say that like if you aren't there yet, you shouldn't be sharing those things because you very much you should. And there's no other way to get better at you know your communication strategies and stuff than to try it and to do it and to get better and improve but at the same time like you got to know where your strengths are and i think you, you say uh, it's for the the client in the best interest of the client but it's also in the best interest of you mm-hmm. right it's the best interest of your time like you can't be everything to everyone and that's a very tough tough lesson to learn and it takes a lot of time because i think when you start out your career you know financially you want to you know build things out and take on as much work as you can Uh, you want to learn quite a bit and you kind of have to go through some of those things to learn, you know, what you're truly good at and what excites you. Because a lot of times this stuff can, you know, you're doing something that doesn't excite you and it just (laughs) drags on and it's awful, right? But um, yeah, I think it benefits both parties because, I mean, there's so much stuff you can do to waste your time, projects and stuff Mm -hmm. that, you know, just, you know, just consume so much of your time and it takes you away from A, the stuff that like we do this as a livelihood, right? You got to be able to you know, focus on what is, was actually truly benefiting you, but also what's benefiting the client. And, and I mean, not to say you should just focus on what's benefiting you, because if you, you know, focus on helping people, that's going to help your business too. But it's definitely one of those things where you gotta, yeah. It's funny. Um,
0: I, I'm a big reader of books. Anyone who's listening to podcasts kind of picks up on that and usually talk about the end, but I just finished, it's a reread, a book called the one thing and now yeah. I'm reading a book that's very popular called The Go Giver. And it's almost like you hit on both points. And I'll, I'll summarize really quickly. First of all, is narrowing down and focusing on you know, the one thing or just the few things in your life that's going to advance your career, be good for your like personal family life, is a really key thing. Instead of saying yes to all of this shit, right? That's really yeah. just paraphrasing what you said. And then the Go Giver's book is really about just being of service to other people and that you're gonna go farther and you'll you'll have a better career yourself if you're actually thinking about what's best for the other people around. So, right.
1: Right. But that's, uh, those are definitely two books. I think I'll I'll check out, but like it's, it's delicate balance though, right? It's, it's one of those things where it's tough to, it's tough to like serve others when you're so stretched and, you know, not able to do that. And yeah, it's just a delicate balance. So those almost seem like two opposing (laughs) things, but also two important things. If you could truly serve your, narrow down focus and be valuable. Like you're obviously going to go far, but it takes a while to also get there. Right.
0: And I think you said it best is you have to know where to channel your energy to narrow it down, to serve, to have the greatest impact. And I think that's actually a key part of it. It doesn't mean saying yes to every person in your world who like, people ask you shit, guess what? They can fucking do this crap themselves. And they're just trying to pass it off and they're just making you busier. And if you're someone who Needs everybody's approval and therefore doesn't know how to say no to people. Well, you're only going to hurt yourself in the long run. And you're actually not doing the other person any favors by having them rely upon you. If you can get really, really good at saying no to all this other sort of stuff, people will value your time, which gives you the time to scale and do things. You think about anyone who is in our world. Many of our guests have applied their time and effort into creating books. So you look at someone like, let's use Sohi Lee, for example. She's been on a couple of times. She's a friend of ours. So he recently released a beginner. I, I, I know I can't get the name right, but it's, it's a beginner's women's weightlifting guide and it is yep. an awesome resource. So if so, he just, you know, spent her time always answering the same questions over and over and over in her, uh, in her DMS, she would never have been able to create this product that could actually help a lot more people. So he's got a big following. So she puts up social media content about nutrition, about moderation, about mindset stuff. And she's, helping hundreds of thousands of people because she's been able to scale and brand herself versus just that one person in front of her all the time. But when that one person is a coaching client or someone that she's working directly with, she also crushes that too. So I guess that's sort of a, a further explanation of what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, a really good example of that. And, and it's just, I, I think in everyone's career, like you kind of have to go through that, that struggle at first to figure out, you know, where to best, you know, serve your time? Because there's a lot of people that like, like content producers, right? Will be doing the complete opposite of that, right? I don't think they're they're constantly answering um, questions per se, but they're getting engagement and feeding off of just sharing information as opposed to the one-on-one stuff. And I think there's like quite a few examples that I I feel like those people really can't foster those one-on-one relationships, but they don't really need to, right? Whereas, like, I think I've found through time that, like, I'm best served to, you know, deal with those one-on-one relationships and then, you know, work within them um, as opposed to putting out content. Like, put out a bit of content, but, like, that's uh, my bread and butter. I want to work with people one-on-one. That's what, like,
0: that's what drives me, right? And that's the essence of what I do as well. So it's not to say that, uh, you know, good coaches can't really dial down and make a major impact on a smaller number of people. I like
2: how we're, like, we're... <laughs> we're talking about like how do you put good shit on social media and then we're like, You gotta find yourself and like it just <laughs> went down the rabbit hole of like go give her No absolutely <laughs> yeah no it, But it's true. It all yeah. it all does tie in. Like I think that the people who know their, their themselves a little bit more can put out content that's not a fucking shotgun approach. And it's usually better because you're more well versed in it. But when you talk about what you're well versed in, like nutrition shit and yeah. powerlifting. <laughs> yeah. But so we actually wanted to dive in this. This is kind of this is cliche, but power off, power powerlifters often get a bad rap for using powerlifting as a, an excuse to be overfat will will be nice. Um is this changing? And what do you say to people to take their nutrition and body composition seriously for strike performance, especially in powerlifting?
1: I, I it's absolutely changing, and I think it's for a bunch of different reasons, really. I think this, obviously, the sport of powerlifting has grown exponentially, but yeah. we're—I think—we're finally at the point where people aren't using it as uh, a strength and conditioning method to supplement their other sports. We're starting to see the actual athletes um, become more involved in the sport of powerlifting, uh, and therefore, we're seeing people that are more interested in nutrition and have a background in like taking care of themselves also being involved in the sport. So, like that's kind of grown, but also like. I think there's just, like, culturally, we would have had, like, 15 years ago, it would have been, you know, people that aren't necessarily good at other sports competing in powerlifting because this is their niche cult type thing. Yeah. And that obviously doesn't bring out a lot of athletic body types. So, like, culturally, it, it was just, like, a comp- entirely different place. And I just remember some of my first nationals being, like, who are these people, right? It's just, yeah, the kind of thing. But it's really, really grown and changed. And I think people are starting to see that, you know, there are – you know, it's different than just, you know, watching, you know, West Side barbell videos and getting as big as possible. Mm-hmm. And specifically, like in uh, the IPF CPU, uh, like APU realms, where you kind of you still need to be an athlete. You need to be an A, an athlete to train. Cause, like, in order to get stronger at a certain point, we're handling quite a bit of volume, um, quite a bit of, like, you know, actual training workload, which is going to require you to take care of your nutrition yeah. to get it pass a you know an intermediate level um you just can't at some point continue just to train through it right you need to be able to recover you need to be able to focus on improving your body composition in the long term um not just that short-term stuff either um but i mean like so there's a serious work volume there's like a serious emphasis on uh like weight classes and maximizing things within your weight class and i mean like 10 years ago we had no resources to point people in the right direction like a lot of this stuff specifically i've focused a lot of time around uh, like weight cutting stuff. The resources that were out there were all like 24 hour weigh in. Mm-hmm. Like you can just kill yourself and then recover type stuff with no real context in terms of like, Hey, you got to lift you. We're going to start warming up in, in 60 minutes. Like you can't lose 8% of your body weight and <laughs> pretend to pretend to, to, you know, still be able to lift because a, that's just not very fun. Like, I'm not sure you guys
2: have ever done that. It's I've, not fun. I, I've dropped it's, 10%. <laughs> I'll do, I've dropped 11 it was bad, but right. I, I just, was in you know, twenty four hour way in, like not even an hour. Yeah, so I it love takes you. a
1: lot of like it just it, it's not it doesn't it's not fun anymore. No. And it's different when you're like competing at a high level and there's things that you need to do. But like for the most like for the most part, like it's just want to do this stuff as like a hobby, which should be fun. Um, but so I mean, like it's definitely like culturally, it's changing. We have much better resources, but generally, people are like seeing that yes, mass moves mass, but quality body composition also allows you to be a better powerlifter. So people are focusing on changing their body composition for, you know, the better. And I mean, that part really, um, it makes me happy because for, like the longest time you'd see people just, um, just eat at all costs, completely blow up their body composition and then, uh, you know, not be able to like, and just really, really, negatively impact their health so that's definitely something that's changing it's almost like the you know the offensive lineman that retires from like collegiate athletics and goes like one way or the other they go one way they either or... yeah the other drop like 150 pounds and are a shadow of their former selves or they just don't know how to take care of themselves i think a lot of times like we were just seeing in powerlifting just the one scenario where people would either you know, continue to gain weight because they felt as if that's what they needed to do to get quote unquote stronger. Um, but also they would stop doing it. And sometimes they would just like, just drop a bunch of weight. Right. And it's like, well, as you age, you want to keep, you work so hard for that muscle, right? Like there's strategies that we can use to actually improve your health, like past that point to retain some of the muscle that you have and become a, like a better version of yourself. Right. And that just doesn't happen all the time.
0: We've seen, this is sort of a common thing in pro sports. Uh, basketball players, to a certain degree, football players, absolutely, is they get used to a training and competition regimen and eating a certain way to be able to get away with it. And then when they retire, they just don't adjust eating
2: habits. I, and then, then they build it build they get really, really mad. I used to have like, I used to have like literally six, like and I was in college sports, so I was a DB, so I ran lots. I would have like six pizza pops when I get home. I am like 18, 19 years old and then like a, like a liter of chocolate milk because like, they're like, that's what you were told to do. Like get more food in and like, I didn't gain a pound. Like I probably lost weight. And then afterwards I had to actually, like, I think RP was my first resource. Like at the Renaissance mm-hmm. that I was like, Oh, you can actually, there's like, there's like protein and shit. And like, I'm a college athlete. Like we didn't even get taught that. Yeah. So the, there wasn't even resources that would have been 10 years ago. There wasn't even resources 10 years ago that the coaches knew to give other people. So little on Absolutely. like powerlifters in a hobby, you know yeah. what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I feel like I feel like in at the same time, um, the dietetics community that probably like should have been serving you for whatever reason just maybe wasn't relatable. No, um, right? And like you would just the, the message of like eat whatever you want, you need to eat, you need to get more calories, and at all costs, just overshadowed any other like sensible information.
2: That well, and could you have don't out there, see right? it nowadays. Like we talked about social media, but like now it would be impossible not to know that it's out there. If you're like on social media and like you have an interest in football or powerlifting, like you'll see people talk about it back then. Like I think YouTube was just coming out. Like I'm not that old, but like in 2006 and 2007, like stuff wasn't popping in your face. There wasn't hashtags for flexible diet. Like at some point someone's going to see hashtag flexible diet or hashtag whatever the fuck cupcakes. And they'll be like, Oh, what's that? And you can't not know you can choose after that. But like, Even, like you said, there was no, there's absolutely nothing out there back then. No. Or even smart people. There was smart people, but they're in the woodworks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, culturally it's changed. Evidence uh, supporting, you know, changing your body composition has changed quite a bit. And, like, it's definitely something that I've welcomed from both, like, um, uh, a a personal level of just, like, seeing what I feel is is better, but also business-wise, right? People are focusing on it better um, and more effectively. And that's been able to – I've been – lucky enough to be able to work with them, right? So that part's been
2: good. You you see it even with, like, the lower weight classes. Cause you, you used to be the, the top-end guys would always push those heavyweight categories, and now you're mm-hmm. seeing, like, the middle, and I'm talking from outside of, but even CPF, CP, IBF, and all that shit, like, the 200s, and, the, like, everyone that's lighter weight is getting so strong because they're not fat right. anymore. <laughs> like, for real. Yeah, no, ends. no,
1: absolutely, and I think those are, we're starting to see, I think, generally, the, the thing about powerlifting that's weird is that i, I and I'm, I'm hoping to be able to like kind of just observe it is that like it isn't something that typically like people I think we're starting to see people actually like aspire um, and, and have like role models in the sport It wasn't something like I, I'm waiting to see like you know if the next generation of people that had you know are having kids are are their kids going to get involved once they're <laughs> sub juniors. Uh, you know, and are they like, are they gonna want to be powerlifters? I'm not sure that's a thing. Like, I, I really don't I know don't... if that's a thing. It'll be interesting to see, but we're starting to see people, you know, people want to be like Brett Gibbs, people want to be like, uh, like, uh, Russell in the same weight class there. Like, they're seeing these, like, people, yeah. um, th- and like they want to aspire towards it. Like, the Bryce Craw trucks of the world, they're like seeing that, like, there's like finally some, like, um, you know, role models that like, aren't, you know, just the, the heavyweights, Well, right? A lot and of I, the
2: outcasts, because those are pretty, like, they're getting more popular and they're getting bigger and they're looking like people that they want to become. So like before you'd have to go to West side, like you either have to be on drugs, you have to have tattoos on your fucking neck or like you, ha- and you have to be like 270 pounds. Like now they're seeing it as more attainable because before, like even with, cause IPF was pretty like low key back then. It was all the geared s- sections. It was the only thing that was in front of people was like the hardcore metal heads and everything. Now that may happen. We'll see. I, <laughs> I, I still don't think it's as sexy as like football and baseball and basketball. Like, you guys get like pummeled. <laughs> like, it's no, true yeah, though. I, I, and I CrossFit, agree. CrossFit fucked powerlifting. It helped powerlifting in the sense that people were doing more powerlifts, but CrossFit like literally took that everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: No, Unfortunately. no, no, no I,
1: I hear you. It's weird who they like, they, they kind of like CrossFit, HQ kind of gravitated towards too in terms of their informational resources. Like, for the longest time, it was like Westside and stuff, which I mean, just isn't like not to say they're not athletes, but they're just so, they're just s- like, yeah. So like one plane, like I, monolith squatting, like how does that apply to like moving? Right. Mm-hmm. And not to say like, not to say like the walkout in a squat applies a lot of athletic, uh, ability or like requires you to do that, but it does definitely add a different dimension to it. Right. Like where you got to have like some, like, some balance and coordination and stuff. It's not just like a, a glorified leg press, right? Which is kind of weird <laughs> yeah. that they get gravitated towards that, but that's, you know, I think it was, kind
2: of- I wonder if it was because of their racks. I think that that's how it started. The relationship was that they built their, their first rack was Louie. They brought Louie in like, hmm. we need someone to help us with the squat rack. What does that look like? And it was whatever the three by three or two by two. Andrew, you don't know any of this. I don't know much about this stuff at all. I almost, I wish <laughs> we talked about donuts. Because, like, that was, like, the biggest... I want to say, like, three years ago is like, that's, you can... Like, that was, like, the flexible diet. That's cliche
0: bullshit, too, about powerlifters. <laughs> but there it is. still
2: pops up. Do you think that that's an... Ex- like, we go back to this, but, like, do you think that it's an excuse, or do you just think that that's kind of how the culture got surrounded by it? Like, it's tough to say, obviously, without context, but there was a lot of that, like, shit eating going on for a while, at least yeah. around training you know what I mean? Like they would say it fuels their training or we can train hard and thus we can feed ourselves and pump ourselves full of carbs. Like what's your thought on that?
1: I, I think that was probably like the, the 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 downside of flexible dieting and people taking advantage of it. Like the pendulum always swings so far the other way. It was like for like the longest time, like you were essentially eating like – like pallets were probably eating like uh, high protein, high everything else style – you know, of diet. And then they realized that, you know, carbohydrates aren't necessarily evil, and they're not going to make me fat. Um, and then like they took that and just ran with it. And now it's like, well, now, now I'm tracking everything I eat, I can include different things. And now it's going to be a bunch of donuts, right. And not eating anything of like nutritional quality, right. And it's just so it's so funny how far like the pendulum is always swinging. And then when it gets to, it gets to like, there's essentially like, this is where it should be. Right, and then it always goes past a certain point, and it's funny what you see in that cultural shift when you get past to the point where it should swing. Right, donuts, for example, anything that like, not like I'm anti-alcohol or anything, but like people like drinking before they get on the platform and stuff. It's like, guys, like
2: that <laughs> happens. What? That, that's well, like I
0: know food. the way. I know they did whiskey shots stupid. before stupid. deadlifts. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't call yeah, it like a just, lot of crap, but that's dumb.
1: With just, social, like, with just social media, right? Someone sees some person do it and there's just like these young impressionable people that want to like follow along and now all of a sudden it's, you know, within the black and white, it's okay to eat donuts, right? So I'm going to
2: like take that for well, everything it's worth. What are your thoughts on that? Like powerlifting is not even that hard in terms of like needing that big insulin spike. <laughs> like, it, yeah. like, it, like it's really, even the high volume people, they're not even really getting that high volume in terms of intensity over a training session The need... Fucking I was three actually, donuts. I was gonna say this. Actually. Is that is that like a thing? When
0: powerlifters are eating candy between their sets, if they want to and it fits their overall nutrition, okay, cool. Powerlifters do not go through the kind of glycogen that where they fucking need candy. Well, Intro intention wise, like they're off, right?
1: Well. Well, it's tough (laughs) energy system, like it's tough energy system wise, like obviously you're not going to see the same, like tapping into the same pathways and extent of burning energy that you would in some like endurance based sports or mixed sports. Right. But at the same time, you'd also like in a competition scenario, be a bit naive to be drinking like protein shakes, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. Which would have, you know, like a protein based supplement or even like a source of protein that typically would make your like, your training nutrition more efficient and mm-hmm. more effective, right? But in a competition scenario, it's like, well, yeah, we're gonna swap that out. If you used to be, you know, eating a protein bar after your workout, we're gonna swap that out for like a cliff bar because that just makes more sense from like a carbohydrate perspective, right? It's like you're, you'd be you'd be better served to eat more carbohydrates. But people just take that to, uh, you know, the extremes, and all of a sudden, yeah, they don't need three donuts, right? Specifically, when the majority of the people that are doing that. Um, are also like hobbyists that are trying to improve their health,
2: right? It's like I actually can't. like that that context because, like, it's not that we're saying all powerlifters are hobbyists, but like sometimes, like, getting healthier might be better in the terms of where you're at in the sport. Mm-hmm. I'll take yeah. that into another
0: place that ties this all together too. Is yeah. One of the things I've always appreciated about powerlifting is it is really accessible to obese populations and populations that otherwise don't have a history of athletics. So I want to be really careful to say that we're not saying negative things about the people who are quote obese or or you know, whatever measure metric you want to call it. Yeah. It's a great sport that generally speaking, in most aspects of it, is I hate this fucking word, but it's true, inclusive. (laughs) Because uh, it's it's just thrown around It's our like soccer, right man. You just it, fucking... But it allows out. a lot of people who otherwise don't have the opportunity to do a lot of athletic stuff, it allows them to participate within, to be included, be accepted, and that is a good way that they're making a major positive step with their health. And sure, if they're not making the nutritional changes early on, but they're getting stronger, there's positive things happening in their bodies, they're getting healthier, and it might be a great gateway to let someone who... He's coming from a place that's not necessarily that healthy, uh, from a theoretical standpoint and maybe get them there. So I and like that, how that's, how Mark, a lot that's that. how Mark makes his money.
2: You like, they, there's all this misinformation out They like get into it and they're like, I want to take this seriously. And then Mark's like, well, you got to change this, this, and this. No, totally. Well, it's just
1: the this It's a, like, it's a, it's a positive feedback loop, right? Yeah. They see something that they can invest some effort into and be good at, um, And then therefore they start to see some success, like regardless of what they're doing with their nutrition and they want to take other aspects of it more seriously. And that part's really good. And even just like, just practically too, like it's probably one of the first examples that they see that, you know, like everyone's going to weigh in, everyone's going to do this. This is just a number. This is just something that like is just part of the sport, right? We just need that number to actually put you into the spreadsheet, right? So it's one of those things where like that uh, in itself was probably something that was so daunting, Right. Um, you know, seeing a number that's been so, like, vilified, right? Like, this needs to be a certain thing. It's like, that's just a number. Like, yeah, it's done. Like, let's move on. Well, and this brings up a good
2: point. Like, so, I don't know, I think this was on your Facebook, but during a presentation, you included the point that calories matter, and an attendee paced around the back, it became upset because you spread a message that obviously countered what they believed. And we're kind of seeing more of this with the inability to deal with hearing messages and ideals that conflict with their existing beliefs. Do you have any thoughts on this phenomenon and how to navigate as a fitness professional? Cause that's essentially what we're talking about is like that, right. that difference.
1: Yeah. Well, I, that is a funny presentation. It was on campus here at the university of Saskatchewan. Um, it was like during like kind of like like a health week series or something like that. Um, and I just, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, the impact nutrition has on our body composition, like really just like, Theoretical, straightforward stuff, and I was—I was actually. Campuses right now are kind of like you know like leaning towards more like I don't know, like political issues and stuff, and like changing your body composition in general right now is kind of like a yeah. contested topic, mm-hmm. right? We're seeing, you know, the health at every size movement, intuitive eating and stuff, which I actually I'm I'm happy, that we're getting some light shed on those things because I think it is important. I think it's giving people some options and stuff, and that's good. I was expecting to get some flack on that side of things mm-hmm. but i had this like gary Tobbs, like tobes like supporter in the back <laughs> that just like like good carbs bad like good calories bad calories like insulin is the devil insulin mm-hmm. is what's like ruining and like he literally was pacing at the back of the room like this was in a lecture style theater where like everyone was sitting like he was actually like like probably logged like three thousand steps just pacing back <laughs> and forth right so like the, i don't know just kind of like set the mood in terms of what i was talking about so this guy like and it was so funny because like during the the during the presentation i was saying well if you guys have any questions that are going to impede you learning feel free to ask them right now but <laughs> outside of outside you, of that like, you well, ask that like, that's the best yeah yeah let's leave them <laughs> let's leave them till the end and then we'll like kind of have like just like A Q&A period kind of thing right but i mean i don't want anyone to think like you, you if i talk about you know some aspect of it and they get way lost Like, let's pump the brakes and you know talk about that then but like he was so you're like raised his hand as he's walking back and forth and it was just he was like i don't want to i don't want to be that guy and i was like as soon as you say that like, you're you that are definitely <laughs> you're definitely that guy um and yeah it's just like it was so funny because it, you could actually hear it come out of his mouth and he's like well i don't believe any of this any of what you're saying is true like you're just telling me that i can eat whatever i want and i'll lose weight and i was like well like in its in its truest sense there's some aspect of that that is true yeah and i I think i think what is funny is that like people don't understand like the concepts that allow people to make changes in their body composition are a lot not a lot different than a financial budget right and there's there's principles in place that allow you to do that but that doesn't mean that it's not very hard to manipulate that that doesn't mean that you have to be you know like checking off some boxes to ensure that's happening but they take it so like like, just so personally, right? And the thing about the scientific method is that there is absolutely zero room for belief, right? Mm-hmm. There's zero room for your personal bias. That's not to say there isn't because there always is, right? And we always introduce that. But in its truest sense, like there's should no be. room for that kind of stuff. Like we don't there's what you believe uh, has no place in science because we've kind of, you know we've we've distilled that all out. That's all, that's all. that should be all gone, right? In terms of none of this stuff is like an exact science, but we're getting to the point where we have some fundamental things. And that doesn't mean it's not tough to manipulate. And that's like when I talk about calorie balance, it's like, yes, calories in, calories out is the absolute fundamental model. And that doesn't mean that things don't change on either side. And that doesn't mean that, you know, if you are a single parent, it's not going to be very hard for you to find the time to a focus on your nutrition and get nutritious food in your home that doesn't change any of that stuff but we still have a fundamental model here still fucking true i'm sorry (laughs) yeah no and it's like it doesn't like i i I get that you're taking it personally but yeah we've shown in some like high level evidence that insulin isn't the the end-all be-all of you know fat storage it isn't like calories do matter there are going to be things at play that like at play like hormonally again that's the thing with hormones right in the context of body composition <laughs> they're going to affect what happens on either side but the balance still is at play here right
2: well, the balance i is hope still... you, did you light them up did you really like like listen man like <laughs> there's a lot of factors if you have more muscle and you're bigger it fucking doesn't matter as much like relax oh, like,
1: yeah no i i i said we are <laughs> uh, i said Dude. me and the body of scientific knowledge are going to have to respectfully disagree and i get that like me and sorry resi- yeah, and I it's funny, like actually have you guys seen some of like the most recent um, debates between like some of like the like the evidence-based community and like the the low carb people, like Joe Rogan's the, podcast, with I, Stephen Guyanet and versus Gary Tobes. I haven't I seen it. I, I, you, I, I read the break I read I the
2: break, I read the review yeah, of that one because I didn't want to listen to, Here, to ultimately them. is kind of what happened. Like the
0: evidence-based people are like oh yeah, Stefan won, like he presented the evidence. But a lot of the laymen who heard it felt like Tobes won. Tubbs, he's a storyteller. Tobes is a story. He's an idiot. He's, he's, he's charismatic. And Guillain had a, a sort of an arrogance and a condescension in the way that he spoke, which can be a bit off-putting. I've read his book, The Hungry Brain, one of the best nutrition books that exists in our industry. If you want to know more, fucking go read it. It's great. Uh, and he's a brilliant dude. But there were some people that felt that just... The I suppose the contempt almost with which he spoke at Tubbs didn't resonate with everybody. And that didn't help him win the audience, which is the ultimate goal. Like to actually convince people, uh, and you're making a logical argument to people who are thinking emotionally about their nutrition, you're not going to push any buttons with them. You're not going to change your minds.
1: Right. And then here's what's interesting is that like, again, we're going back to evidence-based Practice being is it is it effective is it safe? The flip side is that you know when protein is matched, when calories are matched, we can interchange carbohydrate and fat. So does any of this really on like on again on a one on one basis <laughs> does any of this matter? Does this like does it if someone wants to like if they feel better and want to eat higher fat does this matter? Like me as a practitioner, I'm thinking like oh, no. for me to say no, you're this isn't totally correct. You can't do this. Like what better way to actually show someone that they can eat dietary carbohydrate and not get fat than to teach them to, you know, do the things that they need to do to incorporate some carbohydrates in their diet. And then they wake up the next day and they're still alive. And you know, like the, the whole thing hasn't imploded and they they realize that, Hey, mean, this is,
2: you know, why well, I was saying that's what we need to hear more of. Cause like, like there's a lot of smart people, like we'll give them that. Okay. There's PhDs. There's people who have fucking brains. But they don't have that coaching aspect or even the fact they haven't stepped outside a lab to no- understand that. Like You can't tell people that. They think you're a pretentious dick.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And like, they won't listen to you. Like, And that's kind of where the popularity, this ties it all back to the beginning of social media and platforms. Like, the people who are better storytellers win. So if guys like you can go and understand that. You can just have a better story and understand people a little bit more. The, you're, there's a lot of smart people. Right. And they and the thing about
1: it's interesting about this, and it kind of ties back to our first point about people that are, you know, doing their like content creation effectively, is that you'll see that those evidence-based people will put up a post talking about some aspect of it. And guess who is commenting and loving the the, the post? All of the other yeah. like-minded Side. evidence-based yeah. people. You're not like you're not reaching or serving anyone that doesn't already know this stuff, right? It's essentially just you know, you're just getting approval from the people that already believe or trust the things that you trust, right? We're not reaching anyone else. But if you can take that stuff, make it a bit more applicable, and, you know, allow people to, you know, improve their lives, like, that's where, you know, you have the real potential for, like, long lasting, big picture change, right? Getting out of the echo chamber. Yeah, no, no, totally. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what, and I feel like, you know, like, there's you know some very like popular people that are, are able to get away with that and i mean if your goal as like a business person and again again we're talking about this being our livelihoods if your goal is to serve that evidence-based practitioner community by all means go for it yeah. right but a lot of times like what people miss is that like their bread and butter isn't going to be that like right if you like it just isn't They're right not you're not good. gonna like and and I think sometimes within that echo chamber, you can you perceive that you're doing things correctly. That is, if you get any engagement at all, right, or any approval or any of that stuff. But generally, I just see the people, you know, replicating what they think they should do, um, and pushing this over and over. And then, you know, you don't you don't see them again in a year or two years. They're not doing this anymore, right, because they didn't serve the people that they really should
0: have been serving. I even find that the better people who are very much in the evidence-based community who are speaking to other like-minded people are still really good at reaching uh, the layman as well. I think Greg Knuckles and Eric Helms are two very good examples. Andy Morgan, that community. James Krieger, there's a lot of people in that world. They're still really good at understanding the end user and making an impact and just not, again, speaking within an echo chamber. I think that...
2: I don't know. I think that these... greg kind of said i think that's kind of a little wrong like i think that they're greg is like we have a bunch of engineers like i think that they're serving hmm. part of that general population that wouldn't have seen it but like the greater like on a big scale they're not that popular i, I, I guess they're good at serving more people other than scientists they yes, get they get the yeah. niche they, they actually they serve the scientists they serve what we're talking about but they serve you people You're right. that they
0: still yeah are Smart enough with their message and understand it that other people can. At least they
2: them. they yeah, yeah, they serve consumers too. Yeah. Andy oh, Rogan's fantastic at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you
1: know what you know what is probably one of the commonalities between all those people <clears throat> is that they've been able to apply some sort of context, like the hierarchies, for example, mm-hmm. are something that like make like allows people to visualize, you know, what is most important and what is least important, and apply that to right when you, when we used to like like 10 years ago in review articles in scientific literature it's just a, it's a wall of text right you yeah. start with you know what's most important here are the variables and here's the research to support it it doesn't say anything even in texts right it doesn't say anything about like this is where you need to focus the majority of your time on this is where you need to focus like your efforts and this is what's going to allow you to make progress right which is what the the lay community
2: needs, they all, right? So yeah, it comes on the triangles. You basically yes. said it. They all everyone who's big has a fucking triangle. RP, <laughs> Eric Kellams, Greg, you, even powerlifting communities. If you look at um um not Renaissance jugger it's always a fucking triangle. Muscle and strength pyramids. Eric Kellams. Picture books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: communication. I that, that stuff didn't that stuff didn't exist before, right? I, it's almost like before what we had was. <clears throat> like in terms of the dogma and potential content and things that you could do, like let's say variables, it was a checklist, right? It wasn't It wasn't a hierarchy. It was like, these are all the things that you can do, let's check them off, and if you check them all off, you're doing things right. It wasn't like, here are the things that you need to be doing, make sure
2: you check them. Everything else is just bonus, right? That's okay. I agree. Yeah. It's kinda yeah. like we come all full circle, because like, that really is coaching, like and that's that, you know what that's communication at its like finest at, at distilled. You're taking information and making it simple so other people can understand, which is coaching. Because if you tell them the complicated shit right off the beginning, most people aren't going to do that, except for if you you like that. So mm-hmm. let's actually take that. So coaching
0: is you know at the heart of the next question we had. So uh, bear with me, guys. I'm going to read a quote from Mark. And so you recently wrote this quote. Unlike other types of sales, coaching isn't a standalone product. Clients aren't cars. They are human beings that need guidance and nurturing. Count and display your sales however you want. Just know that you can't count your chickens until until you've spent some time with your eggs. End quote. So this sounds like trainers' work doesn't end at the sale, which a lot of people, I think, do believe. It begins there. Would you expand upon this?
1: Yeah, I think, like, adding a bit of context to that, like, I, I think the biggest thing we're seeing in health and fitness, and I'm sure you guys have, have noticed it, is that we're just getting these influx of, like, business coaches, which <laughs> I think, I think, for the most part, I think it actually has been, I think it's served the community, like, somewhat well, like, I think a lot of times, a lot of trainers just, agree. like, A, they don't need to sell, they don't know how to sell themselves, mm-hmm. um, they can't break out of, like, the gym model in, like, in terms of personal training, what I what I perceive of it, and you guys are much more involved than I am, I've only done a little bit of it, is that like, you know, a gym takes a huge cut, you're there because uh, of like the gym is going to give you these, these, these clients, but we're seeing this huge boost in like niche based centers that, you know, are a little bit more trainer friendly and can allow you to take a bigger cut, but that the onus is on that you bring clients in, right? You bring clients in that you are going to be serving them. So you got to kind of sell yourself, Right. So for the most part, we're seeing these business coaches and they're everywhere, right? Yeah. It's all of a sudden I don't know if it's the logarithm in our social media and stuff, but like I see so much of it now that like I can't I can't help it. And I guess the context around that is that a lot of times when they're helping their clients, they're displaying the results of what they're doing in a dollars and cents way. And the most interesting thing is that they do it, and this is like what fundamentally is wrong in it, they display it as my client made X amount of dollars in seven days, no. right? Or in three days. Like my client just made $20,000 in three days. And I'm thinking in my head, like, first of all, like, I want to do that. So like, how is this possible? <laughs> like, what are they doing? Right? Like, I like the, I would love that. Who wouldn't love that? Right? That's yeah. like financial freedom that allow you to do whatever. This is great. You investigate a little further. They, they, they're selling... Three six month programs and counting what the fulfillment would have been over that period of time within that three day window, right? Yeah, so they're like they're, they're selling like a, a high ticket okay. sales item that you know, like a maybe it's going to be a three thousand dollar a month program, counting it over the three months of nine thousand dollars. And my client just made nine thousand dollars in two days, right?
2: Well, and they times that by the year to say they make six figures. <laughs> Right. So what's
1: – and I, I I get like we're, we're getting like a bit no, away fine. from the original book. That's but okay. The thing is, Let's go. The, the thing is that that is a dramatic – that is – there's a huge issue in terms of how you start to view your fulfillment with the client, yeah. right? That's the fundamental issue here is that people start to think that like I just did all that and now I'm a good salesperson. I'm living the life when really you still need to feel like you still need to deliver on that $3,000 worth high premium coaching package uh, for three months. Right. And that is the part part that is extremely important. that's what's going to allow a, your business to grow because regardless of what we do online and stuff, this is very much still a referral based business. I, I I like, Mm -hmm. I will like, there's no getting around that, but yeah, I think it just, it just, it's just changed the focus to like, how can I create all this number of sales? But people, the people that you're working with and serving aren't a standalone product. You're not like in a lot of these cases, you're not selling an ebook. This is someone's life, right? This is someone like you You need to deliver on what you promised and make sure like that it just doesn't stop then. So that, that, that is something that that's been bothering me for a while because fundamentally it just is everything that I'm against, right? It's just that doesn't, it, your, your relationship actually starts there. And I, I don't know, I don't know what, so I, I saw these people all, you know, writing out these these passages and quotes like this and, and actually in the fundamental level, like treating their accounting like that. And I'm thinking like, you got to go like spread that out over, you know, three months. Tell me what you made in three months because that's actually what happened, yeah. right? That's actually what is occurring, right? So like you can't actually track it like that purely like even in an accounting basis because you didn't make that in that, like yes, the transaction happened, but the transaction is a relationship that happens over months, right? So- I guess that's adding a little bit of context to that specific quote. Well, and but. it's
2: it's it's that whole idea of an overnight success isn't overnight. Like that's – if they're good at coaching or good at their job, that was five, six, seven years of work to get that – to then deliver that on the other end of it. Because the other end of that is people like the, the – we'll call them business coaches. But yeah, you can get this high ticket sale, blah, 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 blah. to anyone. You just start being a trainer. And it's like, well, no, you still have to deliver it. So you still have to actually be good enough to – give said product. You can sell it. And then you're saying they can deliver it over that month It's not done. But what about the people who literally can't even deliver what they fucking sold because they literally aren't good? Like, And that's where we don't know because honestly we see the the story and then that's the one-off. And then we don't see any of the other ones. We just see everyone who sold their first month, high ticket, six figure sales. But we don't see them, hey, what do they look like six months or three months or a year down the road? And we're left with these disgruntled ex-clients that Absolutely. like that you know
1: have a, had a bad experience that like they could have actually made some positive change in their lives but now aren't going to because they're so upset at what you know they were given right and i and i think like i think when well, a good example is this is like when when lean gains and intermittent fasting first began like becoming popular i don't even know when it was like maybe 10 years ago something yeah. like that Um, Like Martin Burkhan was taking on like uh, a small subset of clients and charging like a thousand dollars a month, Hmm. um, something like that. And, and like he was, you know, probably taking on like quite a few clients because people were willing to pay for that value of having someone that was like revolutionary, going to do something different, allow them to live a different lifestyle. So there's value around that. Absolutely. I'm Hmm. not saying like there isn't, but again, you still need to actually be able to fulfill that. And these people that, you know, are being convinced that they can, Sell a high-ticket sales item and can't fulfill on it. They're just—they're not going to get any referrals. Like they're no. like—are like those clients going to be fulfilled and happy and talk about their services? Probably not.
2: Well, the one good thing they have going for them is the Hawthorne, Hawthorne effect. It's like when someone pays, or they think they're being watched; they'll, they'll do better inherently just from being part of that process. So right. they may even they may even get re- that's where like they don't even know if they're good or not because like if, as long as someone's watching, that's an argument for because it's you know, painful not enough discounting your services. And this is sort yeah. of a side topic, but I think it's actually
0: a worthwhile one. Um, you know, there are trainers out there who are charging more per hour than I train, and I think sometimes it gets a bit exorbitant. But it depends on the clientele you're going for. But then when you see trainers who. Uh, this is a big pet peeve of mine who let's say they charge 70 bucks an hour, but then they turn around every once in a while and they offer a sale for $55 an hour. And to me, that's like saying, you guys visualize this, like I'm putting my hand way up high saying, I am saying that I'm charging this, but then now I'm lowering my head, but I'm really telling you that I'm worth this when you discount yourself. And I just don't believe in offering uh, sales on your hourly rate as a trainer uh, and furthermore, uh, I don't believe in giving discounts to new clients when a longstanding existing client has happily paid your main rate, your top rate for years because they see that value in you. And I think that's really disrespectful to the people who've been supporting you for a long time. So just as a side thought to trainers who listen to this, guys, stop fucking offering sales and discounting your services and have some goddamn confidence in your ability <laughs> <laughs> but don't be
2: so confident that you're sell $1,000 a month. You Which get is out. also ridiculous. <laughs> I was also going to say, too. You know what? Too, Just stop fucking working.
0: Not too long ago, I got a uh, some messages at a friend request that I did not accept from this idiot. And I'll name him. He's, uh, he's kind of well-known in our industry. I was some guy named Farouk. Farouk? Yeah. Farouk, right? Do you know Farouk? I think, I think, I've, I think I've, I've... Yeah. 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 So, so I, I, for I, work. I put up a post of all these messages he sent me, and it was it was a script, and I and I, I sort of playfully engage him of like, man, this sounds really scripted. And then next you know, there's this bot sequence message. So obviously it was a bot. I'm taking And this. so I posted it up and people were like, well, who is it? Because I blurted out and finally I said who it was. And then a whole bunch of people were like, oh I got a message from this guy too. And then other people were like, oh I didn't, and then they check their like spam filter stuff. Oh no shit I did. So everybody kind of knew who this fucking idiot was.
2: It's great. He like, has he has a key he has it coded. So he uses like his Facebook fucking thing and he codes it and it, it rips off like 14 messages. Like literally within like twenty seconds. And it's like all his videos. <laughs> His business coaching clients. And yeah. just like... He's an example of the bad
0: way. I get a lot of Facebook friend requests. Which it's I so don't awesome accept from. Oh, I help trainers, blah, blah, blah. You know, get six figure stuff. But I see this crap. Don't accept friend requests from these idiots. Uh, because here's one reason. Because then all of a sudden you show up as a mutual friend and it kind of speaks... It's a referral. Who you are friends with on your social media is a kind of referral as to who they are. And every once in a while someone who clearly is a trainer, who... You know, I always look at it I'm like, all right, I've never met this person. I don't know who this is. They're mutual friends with a whole bunch of our industry. And, but they seem like a real person. They seem really authentic. So I'm like, okay, I'll accept. But then every once in a while, you get someone like Brad Dieter. We love having fun with Brad Dieter. Uh, Brad will accept a friend request from anyone. So if I see that, like, I have three mutual <laughs> friends and one of them is Brad. Yeah, so. So, so no. Brad too. <laughs> I'm pretty
2: sure. he's well, like, yeah, well, Brad. he's
1: like almost like a. It's like a it's a signal
2: to you. You're like this. Something's wrong here. Maybe that's his purpose. We'll we'll message him and be like, Brad, thank you. You've like, been like clearing. Away. It's like my the the manager who first hired me at
0: the old commercial gym I was at. And sorry, Calvin, I am going to name you Calvin Hexter. Uh, he's a great guy. He's a really fun dude. But there was a period of time there where I was getting all kinds of you know these the picture of the hot model or whatever. It's clearly a fake account. And Calvin was always mutual friends with these people, so he would accept every single fucking one of these things. It got to the point where I was tagging him in
2: screenshots and making fun of him. He would never reply. But uh, How did yeah. we get here? see, you set us off. You had to mention business coaches, man. You- I I I, I don't think there's there's
1: been some there's some positivity around it. I think like, I copywriting and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is not something that like like comes across um, our our typical education and that kind of stuff. Like, I think uh, if you have an academic background, mm-hmm. obviously you've been taught how to write uh, effectively at, at some level, or at least you've had a chance to practice it. Mm-hmm. But generally, like, if you don't know how to copyright, like this is you're gonna. Yeah, go ahead. I, no, I was, gonna, I was gonna
0: say I don't want to interrupt you. I was gonna say after, but um, we've had a bunch of guests who are in this world. You talk copywriting. We have Joey Percy on our podcast. So if you're interested in copywriting, he has a great book. Go check out yeah. Joey's episode. Yeah. Eric Bach, John Romanel, they're all kind of part of the same sort of group. You know, you want to learn about writing mm-hmm. stuff. And these guys do exist in that quote business coaching realm. Uh, Ryan Ketchum has been on ours. He's really one of the best guys in the industry on it. And most recently, we had Carolyn McDonald who we, we've been talking. She's just starting up in that space. Now, she's not a classic business coach. She just wants to help a few people. She's going to be very exclusive because her main gig is Examine.com. And she's about productivity and getting shit done. There are good people who are doing this stuff. They're just not the skeezy ones who are spamming messages and adding you to Facebook.
1: Right. And I, I, but like at the same time, and I'm not to say that they they need to be doing that, but there's some element of that, like networking and putting Mm -hmm. yourself out there that's also important because I think we see it time and time again, the people that should be actually delivering these services are the ones that just will not self-promote. They just, they, they, it's the ones that, they they don't know what they don't know, right? That are able to put themselves out there. I think we can learn from that. Um, you know, sometimes I use them as examples in my own. Like if I'm if I'm scared of doing something, I'm like, there's that person doing it. I gotta do this. This is like this is no nonsense, right? Like this if this person can do it, here's my example. Like, yeah. you know, just follow through with it. But there's a lot of times like those people probably could benefit from putting themselves out there <clears throat> a bit more often, right? But yeah, there's tons of good there. It's tubbed to weed. You know, out what isn't good. And uh, like, it, it's
0: really quite a learning experience, right?
1: Let's talk
0: about you coming to speak at our, uh, so it's called the Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium. That's a mouthful. We're hosting it here in Edmonton, September 14th and 15th. That's something that Dean and I, Dean Somerset, uh, Evolve and uh, Hannah Gray, who's also going to be one of our speakers, got together to bring together, it's mostly Canadian fitness professionals, uh, and a couple of Americans. We've got Greg Knuckles coming up and Lee Peel. And of course, we've got Brian Cron, we've got Lee Boyce, and just a whole bunch of other really awesome people. You can check out more on the website, but you're speaking at it. So, what do you have in store? You don't have to give away too much, but uh, just at least a little bit of a teaser as to what you're t- going to talk about and why do you feel people should come and attend this event or v- events like it?
1: Uh, well, we kind of we talked earlier about like niching down a little bit. The, the premise of the talk is going to be. Um, my practice around two hour weigh ins and in what we do to manipulate our tr- nutrition to make weight certifications. But I think anyone that has any general interest in nutrition um, and how it impacts our body composition, both in the short term and long term, um, is going to want to come because we're going to really hammer out some big picture concepts around that. So it's going to be applicable to everyone. But uh, in terms of my experience around weight certifications, I think I've, I've helped like maybe three, I've, I've had like 300 successful weight certifications with clients, which when we started to talk about like niche two hour weigh-in sports, like, like it's, it's, it's quite a few, right. And, and within that I've had, you know, yeah. clients that I've, I've done like, you know, 10 meets with now, that kind of thing. Um, what I had found in my experience with um, competing in powerlifting and both like trying to, you know, find some information out there is that we, we really, we didn't have any good, resources around two hour weigh-ins for the longest time. There's been some crop out crop up in like the last two or three years, but past that it was all 24 hour weigh-ins. Um, here's the laundry list of things you can do to affect your body weight. Um, you should do them all. And what I had seen like for the longest time was that like, there's no context there, right? People in a two hour weigh-in would come in feeling a completely flat and terrible, but also like three, 4% under their weight class, Right. So there was no context in terms of if you're this high, like if you're in this part in relation to your weight class, this is what you should do to get there. Um, There's a hierarchy in terms of here is a variable that is going to have the least impact on your performance. You should use that then. And then as you get further away, these are the things that are going to become more impactful on your performance. You're going to need to do it to get there, but that's just the the nature of the beast kind of thing, right? So that's what, I mean, in terms of the resource of – the one ebook I wrote way of the way. And that kind of outlines that process, but this is going to be a one hour, um, snapshot of everything that goes on within that. Now you're thinking, I, I I don't deal with any, you know, weight class athletes at all. I think that anyone that's ever watched what they eat and has stepped on a scale is going to want to come check this out because I'm going to discuss, you know, all the impacts that, you know, what we do have on that. So there's going to be some general information too, right?
0: That's such a good point because anyone who is listening who is a fitness professional will know this for sure because you've had this conversation and anyone who has ever been conscious of weight fluctuations, this is going to make sense. Yeah. Your weight fluctuates daily and weekly and it's not as simple as, hey, I gained or lost body fat. Simple things like how much fiber is in your digestive tract, which affects water, your carbohydrate intake, anyone who's fucking around with keto or knows somebody did and talks about their initial weight loss that's not body fat loss, the first 10 pounds that you shed within the first week. There are a lot of other things influencing, uh, again, how much food is just in your system, not just the fiber, what time of day it is, Uh, women, menstrual cycle. There are some effects there. There are so many things that actually affect your weight fluctuations. And as fitness professionals, when we are having these conversations with people who are really upset because they gained a few pounds – understanding how to get that client off the off the ledge of, of being upset about this by saying, listen, this is all the stuff going on here and you didn't gain any weight. And and so I think that your talk will actually have a lot of benefit to anyone who has ever dealt with that.
1: Right. Because it will be like, I think you're going to have to, it's not like you're going to have to read between the lines, but we're going to make a case for this within a very niche weight class sport. But you can also take those principles and like mm-hmm. apply it to your own practice, right? Which is kind of, Um, definitely. I think that's where we like really start to see people innovate and stuff. It's like, here's something that's going on in this, this one subset of the world. How can I apply that to my practice? Right. Because you're completely right. Like in my research, it was the first time I had ever, like everyone knows that they wake up, you know, 1% lighter, um, than what they went to bed or, you know, some Mm -hmm. factor of that. But generally around that, you know, one to two pounds, one to three pounds lighter. Like, why is that actually happening? why do mattress salesmen tell me that I need to actually cover my mattress? Because I actually am sweating out all night and nothing goes in, right? Like that's like, let's talk about the the actual bread and butter of like actually what happens when we don't eat um, and how we get lighter and why is that actually happening? That's always funny. You ever talk to, they ever buy a new mattress and the mattress salesman's always like, yeah. Have you ever seen like a really dirty mattress of someone that doesn't like actually have a cover on it? Like it's because you, like you sweat out all night, right? And it's like really gross when you think about it, but like that's actually what happens. That's why you wake up lighter, nothing's going in, everything's going out and you're sweating and breathing and you're actually losing weight through expiring,
2: right? Yeah, so don't so, buy used mattresses, FYI. That's also <laughs> Like if, if we were to distill this whole conversation and the the best actual piece, don't buy used mattresses, it's fucking gross. That sounds good. Especially if you don't know if they had a cover or not. Which most nice. people don't. Like, well, I don't know. They should. I, do you have a mattress cover? I don't. Like, you know what? That's a personal question. Bed sheets. No, he doesn't. Not the same thing. Not, not the same, same thing. 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 Come to the talk. It's not the same thing, man. You know what though? I would. I would definitely be that if I didn't have a wife. Because I've had this argument. Why do we need this fucking thing? But I know why now. Obviously, mm. so I have one. Mark has one clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple. Multiple. <laughs> Especially if you're cutting weight, that right. might be in the talk. Get three. Does having more help you lose more weight? Good. It could. If, you, yeah. if it, you know, body heat or something, it might. <laughs> That's just yeah. one of the secrets. Fuck. Yeah. We'll save it for the talk. Yeah. Okay. Probably, okay, fair <laughs> enough.
0: Uh, all right. So we always ask every guest this one. Uh, is there a book that you, you've read, you love, you'd recommend to everyone? And of course, I always say that, like, the people who are, like, the PhD level of, like, Don't tell us a fucking research thing or whatever, and then they turn around and, like, they give us a textbook or something. But really, anything that you're you're really interested in, you think, man, I read this. This is great. People should read it.
1: Yeah. um, Well, I think we, Andrew, you probably, uh, you're picking up on this. I definitely like my, like, self-help stuff. There's (laughs) definitely some, like, elements of that. And I think there's, like, even within that, there's good and bad. Probably in the last five years, the book that, like, really spoke to me is – be So Good They Can't Ignore You. But is that... Um, yes. Yeah. That's is it Cal Newport? Cal Newport. Yeah.
0: That's not the first time this has been recommended on here. One of our earlier uh, guests, a friend of ours named Chad Hargrove, who is Canadian, he mentioned it. And so I turned around and read it. I read some of Cal's other stuff. Deep Work is a sensational book. And we've mentioned Digital Minimalism. Is yeah. new one a few times? I haven't before? read
2: that one, though, the one you guys are talking about. This
0: one? Yeah. No, go See, on. It, it's great. Uh, it,
2: just, it, it pretty much like just...
1: Refutes the passion hypothesis and why people should, you know, like strive to have more like autonomy uh, In their lives as opposed to like, you know Opening up a a yoga studio because that's what they feel in the moment is what's best for them And it kind of talks about like what actually, you know, we derive happiness and pleasure from in our lives And I think that's just a message that a lot of people need to hear because it's gonna it, It will save a lot of time effort money and tears where like, you know people, you know, feels that they need to dramatically change their lives when there's like small tweaks they can do within it to derive a little bit more happiness. Um, so it was just like, it was an eye opener. I, I love that, like within the entire realm of you should do what makes you happy. Someone's saying that like, well, what, what makes you happy isn't actually what you think is, mm-hmm. is going to make you happy. So that, that part is it, a very cool book and a good read too. Like a lot of times you get in some of those books where it's like, I don't know, maybe it was my personal experience, but it really just spoke to me. So.
0: No, I love it. He, he's, it's he's a good 10 all time. He's a
2: good writer. Like, even his, like, even digital minimalism was a little bit, like, whatever. Like, it was good. Like, I really liked it. But he writes well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interest. Mm-hmm. Like, he makes like, that shit interesting. Yeah. Which is helpful. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Like, yeah. deep work is about literally, like, studying and yeah. being in quiet environments and blah, 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 blah. And it was, like, so interesting. Yeah, it's about just
0: blocking off time so that way you can really immerse yourself in your work without being interrupted. I love that book, but what, what you're saying about, uh, so good they can't ignore you. One of the key messages within it's it, like you said, time. is it, it refutes the whole, you know, follow your passion type idea. It also speaks about, get really goddamned good at what you are doing, and f- you can potentially find a passion within that. It's I, I'm pretty sure it says in the book, there's a lot of people who started out on a career path, of course, and they didn't necessarily start with that passion. It was probably more of a pragmatic pursuit that would, Hey well, but then a lot of those people found that they really loved it, and they developed a passion with. And now time. they're
2: business coaches. And now they're business coaches. Tie it all together.
0: All <laughs> all <right>. Okay, <laughs> we I'm, I'm gonna fire you from where, the podcast.
2: Where, where do people? Where we always ask this too. Where, where do people find you online and on social media? Like, where are you putting up the most content?
1: Um, yeah, like probably my, my Instagram at Mark, M-A-R-C-W Morris um, is that handle. Um, I put out quite a bit on that. Um, other than that, if you want to speak with me directly, M-A-R-C at polyhealth.ca is the best um, place to reach me. I kind of live and die by my inbox. So um, Facebook just gets lost in the shuffle, right? So um, that's probably the best place to contact me. And um, those are probably the two things I'm most active within. Um
2: yeah, that's the gist. And what day of it. is he presenting on It's day two? I, I think can't Saturday. remember. I, I, I think so. Okay, I haven't memorized it. Yeah, so. we we put it on the event, we don't even fucking know. Saturday. I'm uh, pretty,
1: uh, pretty good with my calendar. I think it's Saturday <laughs> yeah. at four o'clock. Okay.
2: Yeah, you're right. I know it's four o'clock. And, and like you can sure day, if so. you if you don't want to do the two day, you can also just do the one day and the early bird special is up until the end of August, middle of August. It's
0: up to one month out, so it's the middle
2: of August. Yeah. So guys,
0: we're really passionate about this event we, we're not doing this because you know oh fuck let's do it we thought hey there's an opportunity here I travel uh, to the U.S. Uh, several times a year and I mean that's, sometimes that's like yeah. $2,500, $3,000 to go to one of these things right and if you, especially if you're in Edmonton, I mean, Christ, you're going to pay one tenth of even that. Even Toontown. But you know, if, you, if you're if you're in the Calgary area or Saskatchewan or BC or whatever, it's really not very hard to get in here. We've got uh, well, actually a former guest of ours, Alberto Alvarez. He's flying in from Spain to see his friend Carolyn McDonald present. So he, he wants to come in and hang out. And we've got friends coming up from the US. We've got people coming in from BC. And it's in
2: Canadian dollars, which is helpful and it's in Canadian dollars. Even for Canada, if we go to US. It's- Everything's like, oh, it's only like 500 bucks. Like, oh, no, it's six, seven. No, it's $700. No.
0: And if we do a really great job, but this is attendance is good, well, then we're going to turn into an annual thing. And we've had some pretty big name people. Um, So again, we can't promise that it'll plausibly work out this year. But Christian Thibodeau saw it. And we're going to have Christian, if scheduling works out, he's scheduled soon, we, we're going to have him on the podcast really soon. Christian's a pretty big industry legend, and he's Canadian. He's from Quebec. Mm-hmm. And he said, your lineup looks amazing. You know, If I'm available, is there any way I can get in on this? So we can't promise that he'll be part of this year, but we're going to make a priority to, if, again, scheduling works out, we should have him as a guest next year as part of this. And, and Christian's a really cool guy. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. This, I think that's where, like one of the probably a lot of us around this age would have gotten our our yeah. start and interest mm-hmm. with a lot of the stuff that he wrote. Agreed. I remember having, like, yeah, just a big book of uh, T Nation articles, like, printed out in a, in a, like, <laughs> a, a binder, right? Like, I was, like, I'm a sucker for hard copies, so I remember just, like, hole-punching no, all
2: those things. It's almost nostalgic at this point. Like, we've had, uh, if anyone's listening, we've had a few T Nation people on, and it's like, oh, yeah, I used to read your stuff, <laughs> and we were on a podcast, and it was just, yeah. it's just kind of cool. T Nation's had a stable list of writers. we've probably probably had 25 guests or whatever. We've had a couple of the editors. I mean,
0: fuck that led to me getting asked to write for them. So now I'm writing for teenage, which is just a dream and unbelievable. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's one of the best resources, especially when I first started training, it was one of my go-tos. I would sit down every single morning in front of the computer and read the newest article. And I I think I may have said this on here before, but I learned overhead press mechanics from a Martin Rooney video article, which is really famous. And eventually yeah. like, he's doing something in a gym he's not allowed to do. It's a forbidden exercise. Eventually the police come and arrest him and pull him out uh, because he's doing overhead. Yeah. It's such a really good video. It's a, it's a good article. It's funny. And Martin's. A yeah. Good dude. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. I think like just talking a little bit about my, my start, it was kind of interesting. <clears throat> like a lot like anyone else play high school sports, realize you should probably lift weights to get better at high school sports yeah. from there. Realize that there's things that we can do with our nutrition to impact that entire process. Realize there's people like John Berardi out there that you know are talking about these things, and then that led me to like consume all of his stuff on Teen Nation and get more involved. In 2006, I would have been at Laurier doing my undergraduate in in chemistry, um, and realized he was going back to his alma mater, moderate Western, um, uh, to do like a like a roundtable talk, and this was like 2006 or seven something like that. And I remember like wanting sitting in the in the crowd being like, this is so cool. This is exactly what I do what I want to do. I want to ask him like, how do I how do I actually do what you're doing? Right? And thinking and just being like way too nervous and not asking the question. Someone else's mom asked the question, being like, My son is really interested in this stuff. how do you do that? And he was like, well, like I you gotta you just gotta stay in school forever and and do this Mm. stuff. And I remember at that moment seeing his credentials being like PhD C S C S if I have any chance at any of these things, this is probably a pretty good start. Hmm. And then I, like I, I know I get, I li- I just did it. I actually just did it. I just followed through with doing that. And I don't know. I'm like, you know, on my way to doing similar things. So, and Barati cool. is Canadian. So,
0: you know, Mark, maybe, you know, cause Bernie's what, he's got to be approaching 50. He's been around the industry a long time.
1: I actually, I think he's, I think he's not, I don't know if he's a citizen. I don't know if he's actually Canadian. He's been in Canada for a longest time. I think he's actually originally American.
0: Okay, because I think yeah. I think Brian Cron is originally American, but he's in Canada now too. But um, I
1: mean, I don't know what your, the CBC rules. I'm not sure if it's uh, well, the way we look. at it do it if, 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 if they've, if they've, they've
0: been, been living here a while. Our yeah. buddy Louis Gourlay. You know, we were look. You know, like we just didn't have a fucking spot for him. We were talking about bringing Louis here. Louis's yeah. in Canada. Louis Gourlay is probably like, like
2: actually like so Canadian, and we're just being like, it's he's like, like, not real. It's even like, even it's like um, we don't even know don't Dwayne Johnson, right? Like people talk about how he's Canadian. I'm pretty sure he
0: he's a Canadian citizen. He wasn't born here. I don't think. Right. Who so, is? Dwayne Johnson. He's like The Rock. Yeah, The Rock is Canadian.
2: He then he grew up in fucking Hawaii.
0: Uh, that's just it. Like I don't know where he, like physically he was definitely was born in Hawaii. But he, he does have Canadian citizenship,
2: if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah. So some okay. even get like maybe get like he, This is Southern. this is you know what yeah, this is keeper. Keepers an example. <laughs> we talk about <laughs> evidence based, this is like how all the bullshit gets spread. It's like well, yeah, I think this is uh, a. <laughs> No, <laughs> we've literally just like the made Rock, up a bunch of those. The Rock
0: has ties to Canada, hundred percent. I just yeah. don't know the technical exactness of it. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, Suicide I, I definitely
1: uh, in that vein though. In that vein, um, someone that I just saw is on the speaker circuit, which I'm <clears throat> excited about because I've kind of watched him just entirely blow up. Is Jeff Nippard, for sure? So yeah. He he. That'd be. I, I saw that. I, I forget what conference it is, but he's talking on like scientific communication, and I think that would be really interested because obviously he's speaking to a larger audience right now, a very impressionable audience and doing a fantastic
2: job of it. So we're going to end yeah. on Andrew looking up Google. Let's see. He just so just give us the answer <laughs> so we can end this. Uh, let's see. So
0: Dwayne, the rock Johnson, um, he hails from the great white North. Well, kind of his father is Nova Scotia born wrestler, Rocky Johnson, which makes him at the very least half Canadian. So what? there it is. Yep. Yeah.
2: He's Hawaiian <laughs> and a new like, like, he's
0: not a new that was sorry Nova Scotia so yeah, like, Nipp- speaking of nipperd who you mentioned actually is from Newfoundland like I am uh, I've never met Nipperd. um we didn't cross paths back then but Nippard is a brilliant guy he's well respected in the evidence-based community and a great example of someone who really speaks to the end user so mm-hmm. yeah if you want to see more good nutrition stuff um for everyday people go check out some of Nippert's stuff he's had a couple of podcasts over the years does a really yeah. good job on YouTube so he's what he's someone who's on sort of my list of eventual guests that we'd like to get I don't think Nippert will be too hard to get Berardi would be great Berardi rarely does podcasts so Berardi's kind of that like dream aspirational guest if we get him
2: on we'll tell him that you, you idolized <laughs> him I think I've,
1: I've he's got the letters he's
2: fine he gets <laughs> he's it. got the letters yeah Yeah. cool hey we're All gonna right. end this uh, stick around uh yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thank for, uh, like always, oh, shit, bubbling
0: this. Uh, guys, seriously, if you haven't yet been following Mark's stuff, if you're one of our regular listeners who's kind of discovering from the first time, uh, check him out. Give him a chance. Um, he is going to be a speaker, like we said. We chose, we had 10 people we could choose from out of hundreds in the industry we know, and we didn't choose people haphazardly. So go see what he's doing, and you might actually learn some cool shit or see something new. And hopefully you'll support the people that we believe in and we're supporting. And thanks for tuning in.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Shut up and sit down.